Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's vi.com. Here comes another episode of Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. I don't think we're out of the woods yet in terms of tropics. Now, whether or not we see anything impacting land, I don't know. But in case you're keeping track, next storm on the list is Epsilon. Epsilon. You can believe it. Alphabet. Yeah, I've got to get back into my Greek alphabet. But yeah. Epsilon Zeta, and we had an Epsilon in 2005. It was late November, however, and then we had a Zeta also in 2005, and that was late December. <laughs> and and yeah. then uh, at some point there's going to be Hurricane Lambda, 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 <laughs> and Omega Mu, right? Yeah. Uh, That's right, and we tap a kega. Yeah. <laughs> Ray Stager, right. have a great weekend, my friend. I appreciate it. You too, buddy. All off right. He, off he goes. I knew someday I'd have reason to play that. Leave that going. People who know, know. Coming up next on WBT, the Pat McCrory Show. You said people that know, know. I don't know. I know. (laughs) God, this is going to be a long, I got a feeling this is going to be the longest two hours in Carolina radio. With the fastest growing audience in Carolina radio. Remember, here goes, here goes. Turn me up, John Moore. Hands, everybody, and everybody clap your hands. I have no... We lambda, 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 and Omega Moon. Okay, I got it. That's enough. <laughs> I'll, I'll fill you in during the break. Oh, gosh. We've got a movie for you to watch this weekend, I think. The Pat McCrory Show on a busy Friday no, I, I've up. heard that before. What movie is that? Revenge of the Nerds. Oh, I love Revenge okay, of the okay. Nerds. You just I re- love Revenge of the Were okay. you alive during Revenge of Was the Nerds? Was I alive? Yes. You, first of all, if you were alive, you were not old enough to watch that movie. Because um, there were some uh, pretty revealing scenes in that movie, which I won't repeat the line. Any kid who saw that movie always remembered that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I may have been an adult when I saw that movie, and I remember that movie. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> we've got no. I won't say that. Now I remember the line. I do too, <laughs> and I'm not saying it either. <laughs> so uh, anyway, uh, President Bush. I mean President Trump. Oh wow! Had his <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT podcast. This is the Bo Thompson Morning Show. The Pat McCrory Show follows this. Then Vince Coakley at 10, and then 11.45, you hear him every day, the Bill O'Reilly update. 
And on the WBT hotline, happy to welcome back to WBT. He's one of our members of our lineup here, Bill O'Reilly. Hey, same to you, Bo. How you feeling? I'm doing okay. Hope you're feeling okay. And uh, I know that the uh, the multi-million selling uh, killing series, uh, your books that you've uh, been writing for years, got a new one out uh, very recently, Killing Crazy Horse, The Merciless Indian Wars in America. Yeah, and uh, it's really flying uh, in the first Four weeks out, we sold about 300,000 copies, which uh, is amazing because Donald Trump's not even in the book. Uh, it was 150 <laughs> years too soon for him. So <laughs> every other book is, I hate Trump, I love Trump. This book is about uh, your country, America, and how it was forged and uh, Native American wars for 77 years uh, between the Indians and Washington, D.C., and uh, if you go to Amazon and you look at the reviews, the folks who have bought it, 93% say it's an excellent book. I don't think any of this is the ninth killing book. That's the best it's ever been reviewed by the folks. Ninth one. Uh, this has been, as I said, quite a series. When you, when you set out to write the first book, did you ever imagine it would, it would uh, turn into nine books? Never. I was writing books uh, like A Bowl Fresh Piece of Humanity, which is my uh, bio, and then uh, Culture Warrior, and things about modern America. And then, you know, I, I had maybe six or seven number one bestsellers, and I said, I'm going to change it up now. A former history teacher, I taught high school in Miami, and I wrote Killing Lincoln. And my publisher rolled, they rolled their eyes and said, oh, it's not going <laughs> to sell. And the rest is history, as they say, Bo. So we're real happy with the series. Well, the only poll that I really follow is Rasmussen. Um, and they've got uh, Biden up by five, 50 to 45, which is close because it's within, almost within the margin of error. I think that's where we are. I think President Trump is running behind a little bit, uh, but nothing like the uh, uh, mainstream anti-Trump media is telling you. It's, it's close. And in North Carolina, you guys are, you know, right on the razor edge here. Um, if the president can win North Carolina, got a good chance to be reelected. Um, so you're right about the debate because that's a big farce. And, um, you know, why these things happen, it's hard to explain. But the president does need a debate in Tennessee. Right. He needs that. Um, and he needs to calm down and win it if he wants to be reelected. Well, and, and uh, to your point there, he needs that. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, many would argue, probably does not, because I think uh, uh, many would say he came out of the gate in that first one and performed better than uh, a lot of people thought he would. So uh, I guess the argument can be made that uh, Joe should stop with that one. You, you, do you think this is actually going to happen next week? Uh, you think they're, they're going to get together and, and, and make one final run at it? You know, I don't think that Biden people want it, um, but they may have to show up. Um, this thing tonight, these town halls, they don't mean anything. Um, so I, if I had to bet, Bo, I would say, yeah, it's going to happen. Um, but, you know, it, it, uh, there's a lot of things. Every day of this campaign um, takes another twist. So now we have uh, Biden's got a problem with his son again. Um, and you know, really, really don't know. But I would have to say that if Biden refuses to do the debate next Thursday, that will hurt him.
So if you had to call it right now, Bill O'Reilly here on WBT. And by the way, uh, Bill O'Reilly, 1145, the O'Reilly update later today. And that is new book. Uh, if you had to call the race today, you had to predict the race today based on all that you see. Uh, what do you think is going to happen on November 3rd? You know, I, I, I won't know. I can give you uh, all I can say is Biden's ahead now. Yep. So the vote was now Biden's ahead. But uh, this is a really, really Harry Truman, Thomas Dewey type situation. Biden's uh, support is thin. It's not like Barack Obama. Democrats loved him. A lot of passion for Obama. It's not people aren't running around going, I got to have Joe as president. That's not happening. Um, But Donald Trump's demeanor turned off a lot of women in particular, and he needs to win some of those people back. It's possible. So you're going to be in a real intense situation, this country is, in the next 18 days. Wherever you are, whenever you're ready. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. I can just wrap up the segment and say nothing else, and that that's it right there, right? You drop the mic, you drop the guitar. And I know that uh, Rolling Stone, what, back uh, several years ago, did the 100 greatest guitarists of all time, and Eddie Van Halen was number eight on that list. It's kind of hard to say that after listening to what you just heard. Perhaps the definitive Eddie Van Halen, the eruption track right there. But uh, they said ahead of Eddie Van Halen, Chuck Berry, B.B. King, Jeff Beck, Keith Richards, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, and number one, Jimi Hendrix. But as a kid who grew up in the 1980s, I didn't play the guitar. Now, my brother did. And I can tell you that my brother became a very good guitar player. And Bennett never would have picked up a guitar if he'd not heard Eddie Van Halen. And uh, that's a lot of people out there, whether you're a musician or not, if you're a fan, if you're a kid who grew up in the 80s and loved rock and roll, was there anything cooler than Van Halen? And you can't have Van Halen without Eddie Van Halen. And, of course, Alex Van Halen. And then you get into the debate of Sammy Hagar versus David Lee Roth. And, and I get it. And uh, I love Sammy Hagar. And I, I probably uh, err to the side of Van Hagar because that's the incarnation that I, I got a chance to see four times live. I never saw David Lee Roth, even though he came to uh, the Spectrum Center several years back as part of the last reunion tour. And that was when Wolfgang was in place of of uh, Michael Anthony. But you had Roth back there. And I love Roth, too. In fact, I can prove that I love David Lee Roth. Number 10. Here's a hit that spent 10 weeks in the top 10, five of those weeks at number one. The song is Jump. The band, Van Halen. I saw uh, Keith Larson post last night that uh, this perhaps is the quintessential 80s song. 
And I can't disagree. With apologies to Huey Lewis and Power of Love, you gotta love this song. in peace Eddie Van Halen lost his battle with cancer yesterday at the age of 65 and it uh, really is tough to hear but uh, he had battled cancer off and on for many many years Uh, this is uh, part of a conversation with David Lee Roth and Eddie and Alex Van Halen back in 2012 this is act 8 John Moore sorry about that number 8 this is back in 2012 when that last album came out the final studio uh, Roth album with Van Halen very few of our colleagues still enjoy playing Oh, yeah. You know, do you feel that? Very, very few of the guys who get past 10 years, it seems like a lot of hard work in there. Do you feel that? No, it's... If you enjoy playing, you're always always going to improve. You you might not get faster, you might not get uh, louder, whatever the the definition of better is, but you will become more refined. And when you can do that, that is a challenge, you know? You can continue to learn... And and make those. That, that's what keeps it interesting. Well, you have to because enjoy doing it, not necessarily. No. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I see a lot of folks out oh, there. No, I mean, other people, really yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, well, we still enjoy what we do. Uh, otherwise, I wouldn't do it. What would you do? What else would you do? I don't know. Well, you've, you've never done anything for a living that, but well, music. That's, that's, kind of what, that's kind of what keeps me enjoying doing it. <laughs> All right. They were reunited, uh, Roth and Eddie and Alex Van Halen, uh, several years back for that final studio album. And I was talking about Roth, but i got to be honest with you. My favorite riff of uh, Eddie Van Halen, and, and, and again, maybe this is because I remember vividly 1991, uh, at the uh, the new Charlotte Coliseum, Van Halen at the Right Here Right Now tour uh, came out on stage, and uh, he got the the uh, was it the screwdriver the the uh, the electric screwdriver, and he he did this. Or actually, maybe it was a power drill. Whatever he did, that's how he played that riff. This has always been my favorite Eddie Van Halen pound cake from the For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge album. But man, I mean, the catalog is goes on forever. Rest in peace, Edward Van Halen. The best of the week, on to men. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. American, American Top 40. Once a week with AT40, and you know how your favorite songs are doing throughout the USA. Like the current hit by the band whose guitarist has been called one of the most influential guitarists of the 1980s. He's inspired a lot of young musicians to pick up that axe in the hope of becoming guitar heroes too someday. He's Eddie Van Halen. His band's hit climbs two notches to number 26. Van Halen and... Love walks in. 621 on News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I'll add this to what Casey just said. This is quoting someone else. Actually, my next guest right here 
Says, quote, he was what the group Kiss could never do. He was my Jimmy Page. He was the identity of a real rock star. You loved him because of his art, but he was just so damn beautiful like a rock star should be. Those are the words of my next guest, Arrow Collins, longtime friend and longtime radio pro, is a podcaster now and just all around media maven. And unfortunately, I end up having these conversations on WBT when icons like this pass away, but I can't imagine who else I would talk to. I remember our conversation about Prince, and I remember our conversation about Casey Kasem, even. But Arrow Collins, I hate the circumstances, but we've lost another legend, my friend. Yeah, but you know, you know what, though? You have to understand that in the past 12 hours, we have united around the world. Mm-hmm. I see the positive in that because we are recognizing all of the guitar players from Stephen Vai to Stevie Ray Vaughan to uh, Carlos Santana. And it's one of those moments where we are together. The people who love those guitars, not the front man necessarily, but those people on the guitar. Well, you know, uh, you mentioned the guitar players. Rolling Stone back in 2015 ranked the all-time list of guitar players. And uh, Van Halen fans may uh, scoff at the fact that at number eight, is uh, one Edward Van Halen. Now, the the names ahead of him, I mean, uh, we're talking Chuck Berry, B.B. King, Jeff Beck, Keith Richards, Jimmy Page, Eric Clapton, and, of course, Jimi Hendrix. All very worthy names. But I think, you know, for so many of us, I knew I grew up in the 80s, and, and you, were, you were you were cutting your teeth in the 80s and in and, and years before that. I mean, Eddie Van Halen was uh, not only an incredible guitar player, but he inspired a whole generation or generations of musicians and, and guitar players. Well, look at what he did with, with, with his patents. I mean, he's, he's the guy that was able to create a product that could take your hands physically off from the guitar so you could use those hands as if he was playing the piano on the neck of that guitar. We had never seen anything like that, nor did we ever hear anything like that. And that first album proved just exactly what he was trying to do, and he was trying to accomplish uniqueness. Let me play uh, another clip here. Now this, not everybody may know this. I think, you know, guys like you and me know this. We grew up with this. But uh, kids today may not realize what's going on in this song. comes. Stay with me now. You know, when uh, Michael Jackson released Thriller back in 1982, and this was one of the big hits, obviously, Beat It, that was Eddie Van Halen playing that guitar riff in the middle of the song, and uh, I've heard rumors over the years about how that came to be, that it was a one-take thing, and that uh, uh, Eddie did it for free. But whatever it is, it shows you that not only was Van Halen top of the world back then, but you know Eddie Van Halen was uh, in the height of pop culture because there was nothing bigger than Michael Jackson. And I think Arrow, the fact that Michael Jackson recruited him for that song, says just says volumes. Well, you got you got to remember that he also did a lot of work with the group Kiss as well behind the scenes, and Gene Simmons loved him, and 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 that's one of the things that Eddie was. He was always, you know, he did that as a favor for Quincy Jones, and it only took 30 minutes to do that uh, that that riff right there for Michael Jackson. And he said that nobody will notice it, but yet that song went on to become record of the year. Well, yeah, we all noticed it. We knew it was Eddie right away because of, of that guitar playing. 
You know, uh, I, I was talking to my kids the other day, and uh, Top 40 Radio is a lot different than it was in the 80s. Uh, back in the 80s, rock and roll would find its way into Top 40. Uh, you know, you, you wouldn't find a, a Van Halen song uh, on Top 40 Radio anymore. It's really, the whole landscape has changed. But uh, I, I saw Keith Larson post last night. A lot of people listening remember his voice on WBT. Uh, I saw him post last night that the song Jump was probably the quintessential 80s pop song. Yeah. I was I was on Cook Radio in Billings, Montana when that song first came out and it once again when Van Halen first showed up in 1977-78 it was right there at the edge of disco when 1984 came out for Van Halen uh you know what happened was Jump was right there in the center of yet another music movement we we were in an electronic age and here was Eddie Van Halen with real instruments real vocals real harmonies and and they were they were making a huge difference which I have always believed ushered in Def Leppard Well yeah and and you know uh, you mentioned uh, at the at the top of the interview here about how people were united and have been united talking about uh, love for Van Halen and and that era and, and politics are out of the window for a moment and some of the other stuff that causes strife and division. Uh, one thing that always caused strife and division if you were a big time uh, VH fan was uh, were you a David Lee Roth guy or were you a Sammy Hagar guy? And I was always I think it's because that uh, I, I never saw Roth live. I saw Hagar with Van Halen or excuse me, Van Hagar. I saw him four times live in concert, and, and I love that catalog, but I also love David Lee Roth, and I always held this fantasy, I guess, that one day these guys were going to put aside their differences yep. and all get together, uh, both lead singers, or even th- throw G- Gary Sharon in there and have all three lead singers if, you, if you're a completist. But, you know, all of them come together and go on one big, huge farewell tour. It never happened. I think egos and, and arguments got in the way. But uh, either way today, even if you were a Roth or a Hagar guy, you got to come together and realize uh, it was nothing without Eddie. I saw David Lee Roth uh, during their very first album in Billings, Montana, and I uh, my life changed forever. And then so when they came back through Charlotte and David was with them, it was sure he wasn't jumping around. But I'll tell you what, though, I found myself not watching the band, but only Eddie. I sat there watching that screen because of modern day technology because I wanted to see his fingers dance. Uh, final word here. Uh, you know, when you think back about your radio career and all the songs you played, uh, favorite favorite Van Halen song? All of them. All of them. I have to go to all of them, yeah. yeah. And you know what? If, if Van Halen fans really want to jump into something, you've got to go to Greg Renoff's book. It's called um, it's, it's called Van Halen Rising, and, and it really is the, the book because it takes it all the way back to when Eddie Van Halen and his brother were in the backyard just trying to make a buck. And it, it is, it, it, we, we're in a moment. We're in a moment, and this moment should be a, a celebration of sound because he brought it forward. Well, Arrow hosts a podcast called uh, Unplugged and Totally Uncut, and uh, there's an interview, a conversation with a guy you just mentioned. So I invite people to uh, check that out at uh, Spreaker.com. But uh, Arrow, uh, you know, I could talk to you all day, my friend, and uh, I hate the circumstances usually. But you know what? I don't at the same time because I love these types of conversations because uh, it really uh, takes me back to a time that uh, seems like long ago, but uh, we can bring it back to the forefront uh, just uh, talking back and forth here. That's what it's all about. Absolutely, man. I love your show, buddy. Get all your bow on the go. His best of the week on WBT. This is Bo Thompson's WBT Podcast. So I've told you all many times, one of the first jobs I had here as a kid in high school was filling in screening phone calls, whether that was for Hello Henry or whether it was for, I don't know, the sports huddle in the evenings. 
And much of the soundtrack of that kind of goes through my head of those days was many of the callers that called this radio station and actually called WFNZ down the hall. That was long before we were under the same roof. But, you know, uh, talk radio in Charlotte in modern times has been WBT and it's been WFNZ. And a few other examples here and there, but these are the two stations that, uh, that feature it uh, almost exclusively. And so uh, you think about uh, not as much in this era now, you know, callers. We, we have callers uh, here and there, but, you know, callers that call enough that people know their names. That's not exactly, uh, you don't find a whole lot of that anymore. But there was an era here uh, in the 80s and, and 90s where uh, certain shows had callers that called in. And when I heard that this guy passed away, uh, I got up this morning at my usual time, about 3 a.m., and, and I checked my phone, and I saw that John Red Fox Jackson passed away on Monday at the age of 88. Now, if I had as much time as I wanted to, Zoki, Jim Zoki, who joins me now, if I had as much time as I wanted to, I, I could have spent several hours in you know, the tape closet and probably come up with a lot more archival evidence of this guy, but I'm going to play you just a little riff here, and then I want to get your reaction, because I know you have one, uh, to a guy that was synonymous with Charlotte Sports. John, how are you tonight? I'm beautiful, y'all. I want to send a message out just to the fans. I talked to the Lord, and the Lord told me, don't worry, Panthers going to come around. Whatever I do, don't sell my PSL. John, don't ever change. All right, you're the man. You're the man. You cut me short, man. You didn't ask me none of the questions everybody else got. Put what moment on. in history would you change? Huh? What moment in history would you change? What moment in history would I change? Yeah. Oh, wow. Probably this moment right now. How about this moment? <laughs> One of the few times uh, John Red Fox was ever speechless. That was from uh, the Jerry V Show back in the 90s. But I got to tell you, and let me hit one, one other piece of music here, John Moore. It's going to take Zoki back here. When I first met Zoki, he was hosting Sports Huddle, the Sports Huddle weeknights here on WBT. And uh, one of those phone calls was John Red Fox, and he always said, Hey, hey, Jim Zoki, we're going we to be all right. The Panthers are going to be okay. The Hornets are going to be okay. I'm the biggest fan. We're going to be okay. What a piece of Charlotte radio history that has left us, Jim. It is, and uh, I encountered John many, many, many a time in person because he was a regular coming out to our Panther Talk show uh, when we were doing it on location, which now is a studio show. And at uh, every Hornets game, I worked every Hornets game the first, you know, seven, eight years. And John was at every game. I think he worked for the school system to some degree at some point. But anyway, he would call, as you said, all the shows. You could count on if, we're, if there was a sports talk show, he was going to be on it. And he would hold and he would wait, you know, <laughs> 15, 20, 30 yes. minutes. Come on. And uh, was always positive. Big fan. If you met him, he, he's called Red Fox because he looked like, Fred Sanford, Red mm -hmm. Fox, and uh, he would have these old school, I mean, old school Hornet jackets and hats, old school Panther jackets and hats, and he'd get the whole team to sign them. He was just a walking memorabilia store of just, uh, he would have what looked like a hundred signatures on his jacket and dozens on his hats that he would wear, and he was just the, kind of the mayor of uh, sports fans. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, the mayor of Charlotte sports fans, and uh, you mentioned uh, that he would hold. Now, in those early days, it was before we had the technology where it would show you on the screen how long someone had been holding, <laughs> so I think, and, and, and 
having been a call screener, like I said, I probably would have felt a lot more guilty about John and how long he held if I actually had seen and was reminded about how long he'd been on. But he would hold and he would hold and he would hold. And, you know, you mentioned the fact that uh, he, he uh, was always at those Hornets games. I remember the last time that uh, there was a Hornets playoff game in the new Charlotte Coliseum. If, I, if this serves me right, it was against the Nets back in the uh, early 2000s. But I remember NBC was in their last season uh, when they covered NBA basketball. And so they were here on a Sunday for a playoff game and uh, sensing that it was the final, you know, possibly the final Hornets game in that uh, facility. Uh, they interviewed Red Fox, and I remember thinking somebody got to NBC and, and got them to the right guy because there's nobody they could have talked to that would have been more uh, representative of the fans that uh, sat in the seats in that building for so many years. And uh, you mentioned, I, I think he was a, a CMS custodian, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I worked for the school system, and, uh, and, and even uh, at one of those recent uh, Chief Kerr Putney Community Forum events, um, I was... Uh, listening to one of those, you know, back in the last year that Chief Putney was uh, in the job, and you know, this was out, this was during uh, obviously the racial unrest, and he would have these community forums, and I remember uh, there's this one really heated night where there was discussions going on, and then all of a sudden I'm listening to it, and I hear this voice, and it was like. Y'all hadn't heard from me in a long time, but you know me. And I went, wait a minute, that's, that's Red Fox. And it was. And there he was, uh, you know, trying to be a guy in the community there to, to bring people together. And I think he really did that. But I, I tweeted this morning, and I know you, you tweeted something too, but I, I can say this, Soki. Uh, there is a guy who made the airwaves of Charlotte Radio and Charlotte Sports Radio especially better during the years that he was here. Yeah, you love those people that are just, like, consistent every day. And some are just for a team, but for the, the two main sports teams in Charlotte, pretty much makes it year-round. And if you're a talk show host back in the day, you know, nowadays, you know, it's not hard to get phone calls. But there were sometimes back then when <laughs> we were doing sports, settle, it's like an hour beyond at odd times, like coming out of the end of a Hornets game going until 11 o'clock at night. But you can count on John Red Fox and be like, oh, I know I'll get, like, a couple good minutes out of – John Red Fox, and he'll be positive. He won't be complaining and griping about anything. But 88 years old, and uh, uh, rest in peace, uh, John Jackson, Red Fox, one of the great all-time. If we had a Hall of Fame for sports fans in Charlotte, uh, Red Fox would be in that. Well, and I love what you said, the mayor of Charlotte sports fans. That's uh, that's about as well as you could encapsulate it. And, you know, I'm sad on this uh, Wednesday morning because in a year like 2020, one more time, I'd love to hear John Red Fox right now say, we're going to be okay. We're going to be all right. <laughs> You're listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Always an honor to uh, have a member of the President's Cabinet, the United States Secretary of Health and Human Services, Alex Azar, is back on the show. Good morning, sir. Hey, Bo. It's great to be back with you and your listeners again. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And uh, as we're recording this conversation, I was checking out your Twitter feed, and uh, all over that Twitter feed, uh, flu shot references. In fact, if I'm correct, if it's, if it's you in the picture, that I'm seeing, there's a picture of you getting a flu shot uh, very recently. That's right. It's a picture of me with Nurse Jane, who's our nurse, longtime nurse at HHS. She's probably given me about 50 shots over the last 20 years, uh, getting my annual flu shot. And I encourage everybody, please get your flu shot. If you are six months of age or older and not contraindicated, get your flu shot. It'll keep tens of millions from getting sick. It'll keep tens of thousands from hospitalized. And it'll It'll save thousands of lives. So please get your flu shot. 
Well, the reason I bring it up right off the top here, the flu shot thing, is uh, I'm hearing a lot lately as we head into the autumn season of this pandemic that uh, even though it's always important to get a flu shot, uh, it's even more important during COVID-19 to get one this year. And ironically enough, uh, you talked about uh, just having yours. I just had mine as we're speaking right now and recording this conversation. I didn't even have to get out of my car. Uh, my doctor provided a, a, a mobile clinic and uh, right down the street and uh, got it done. And so, uh, again, back to that question, why the the uh, increased importance of this? Well, it, it, you said it exactly right. First, Bo, thank you for getting a flu shot, and thank you for telling your listeners you got a flu shot. Uh, but, uh, but secondly, it's more important than ever to get your flu shot this year. The flu shot can prevent you from getting the flu, or even if you do get the flu, it can reduce the severity of your symptoms and the impact it has on you. So why is that really important? Folks, we're in the middle of a global pandemic right now. I want you as healthy as possible. I don't want you suffering from flu and then getting exposed to another respiratory illness, COVID, on top of that. That's why it's so important. We need you to protect yourselves with the flu vaccine, uh, even as we work on a daily basis to try to get you a COVID vaccine as quickly as possible. Well, yeah, you led me to the next question. Uh, you, you knew I'd uh, find my way to this one, but where do we stand on the uh, the vaccine or vaccines? We hear about a lot of them. Uh, the president was talking just the other day about how many uh, different uh, possibilities are in the mix. Uh, what's it looking like right now? You know, Bo, I've been doing this a long time, been around the uh, drug development a long time, vaccines. I've never seen anything like this. What President Trump did here is harness the whole power and financial might of the U.S. government. And as a result of that, we now have four vaccines in the late stage of clinical trials and a total of six that we've invested in. We've got all six of those are now in industrial scale manufacturing. We're literally stockpiling millions of doses of vaccine, even as we still work to get FDA approval of them. Uh, we've got two vaccines that are pretty much near the end of their clinical trials, and uh, we need to wait and see the data has to come in. We don't have any control over the timing of that. Uh, it's really dependent on enough people who are in those trials who were not vaccinated getting COVID and, uh, uh, and an independent data committee reviews that and determines if that's if pre-specified standards have been met. Uh, and then we can get off to, uh, to con considering the data. So we're talking to uh, U.S. HHS Secretary Alex Azar back on the show here on WBT. So uh, the the guidelines that were approved on Tuesday by the FDA, and I've, I've heard uh, rumblings that uh, those may prevent a vaccine by the, by the time the election rolls around. Is that true or is that still up in the air? Well, so the guidance that we put out is just a, those are guideposts for manufacturers of vaccines telling them the kind of data and information that we would like to see. Uh, at the end of the day, it's going to depend on the quality of data and evidence that the clinical trials produce that will determine whether they're approved. But we've just tried to be very transparent. You know, about a couple months ago, we put out the FDA's guidance for vaccines and COVID generally. This is just some more particularized information for the drug companies that says if you're going to seek an emergency application, here's, here's some extra information we'd like to see. None of that's binding on the FDA, but it, it does in a public way set out the, uh, how they're thinking. Um, you know, the, the biggest issue here is I want quality, safe, effective vaccines that the public will have confidence in. And I want them as quickly as we possibly can get there. And what we've done through President Trump's leadership is we've, we've 
We've sped things up not by lowering standards, not by cutting any corners, but we've taken all of the financial risk away from the drug companies that would normally slow things down. We have invested to plan clinical trials, phase one, phase two, phase three, all at the same time, so we can move seamlessly through that without the normal delay a drug company would have. We are, as I said, making millions of doses of vaccine, even as you and I are talking, which no drug company would ever do while they were still trying to do clinical trial studies on a vaccine, so that when and if the FDA signs off on a vaccine, we're going to have vaccine to be able to start vaccinating people. As the general in charge of this program has said, within, we'll be shipping stuff within 24 hours of FDA approval. That's, that's thanks to President Trump's really incredibly bold leadership here, uh, marshalling all the resources of the U.S. government behind this effort. Well, Mr. Secretary, uh, speaking of the president, I know you're not directly involved in his care. You're not his, his physician, but uh, I'd be remiss, I think, if I didn't at least bring up what's happened over the last week. The president, uh, it's not every day that the president, uh, uh, you know, tests positive for a, uh, for, for a pandemic and spends the weekend in the hospital. And, and on top of that, now he's already out. I think a lot of people watch this from the outside and go, Wow, that happened fast. Uh, what can you say about uh, that big story this past week from your perspective? Well, I spoke to the president yesterday. Uh, he is uh, energetic. He's charged up. He, uh, he's optimistic. He's uh, certainly uh, eager to, to get back to work uh, fully. Um, I mean, he's doing as much as he can uh, from the White House where he is now. Um, and, you know, I think it's a real testament to what we've been able to deliver so far. And this is what should give the American people, I think, a tremendous sense of, of hope and optimism for where we, where we are now and where we're going. You know, the kinds of therapies that we're talking about, remdesivir, that's because we did clinical trials at his direction in February to show remdesivir could work. Dexamethasone, that's a steroid, low-cost steroid widely available in the U.S. that the NIH recommends use of for, um, for lung inflammation. And, and then we've got these monoclonal antibodies uh, that are in that are in clinical trials now that uh, that we may be weeks or or just months away from having in broad scale availability in the United States here um, that can basically be a high potent concentrated version of what we see in the convalescent plasma that the FDA authorized uh, just a month ago. So basically, uh, if President Trump had had the same situation in say April or May, uh, he might be in a different uh, predicament right now. Well, I'm not his doctor. I have I don't know the clinical evaluation, but I'd say just for anybody out there, this is a sense of how radically we have improved care for people who have COVID. In April, if you were age 70 or above, you would on average have had about a 30% chance of dying of COVID if you got it. Today, that risk is reduced to about 5.7%. That's an over 80% improvement in relative risk of mortality for people age 70 and over, thanks to these treatments, thanks to what we've learned about how to care for people who get COVID. HHS Secretary for the United States, uh, Alex Azar. Always an honor to have you on the show, sir. I appreciate you calling in. Oh, pleasure to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Bo Thompson's WPT Podcast. Hear Bo live weekday mornings 5 to 8 and 8 to 10 on the Pat McRory Show with Bo Thompson. Plus, on demand anytime at WBT.com and Radio.com.
Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.